Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. How many of you guys have had the experience of um, somebody coming over without invitation? Um, This is a thing that happens uh, as a pastor sometimes, as much as we try to limit that and hide our address, our physical address. Um, When you have a baby, uh, it's a big deal because there's so many generous people that want to give you food and all that stuff. And when we had our third kid, Brax, um, we had, you know, people you know, agree to give meals. And I had a good friend of mine that, hey, they want to bring us a meal. That's, that's amazing. That's generous. And so like, yeah, yeah, we'll bring it over. And, you know, we will stay and eat with you. And I'm like, that's not necessary, but I thank you for your generosity. You can just you drop it off. That'll be amazing. Um, just had a baby yesterday. Um, and so then, like, well, you can think about it. And I, as gracious as I could be, I was like, well, I don't really need to think about it. Um, this isn't a pray about it situation. Just, you know, drop the food off. And then they get there the next day at the door, and they're like, hey, yeah, we, we just thought that we would come in and eat with you. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I, I thought we already covered that about two or three times. And so they just proceed to come on in our house um, without invitation. And more than that, there are four little kids all within like seven years old come on in with them just like this line into our living room. We're living in a townhouse at the time, so there's not a lot of room. So all of the living space was downstairs. So over the next hour and a half, they proceed to eat a meal with us and their kids proceed to get every toy in our whole house out on the living room floor and absolutely everything is just a cyclone. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And so we do this for an hour and a half and then they leave and I'm like, hey, thank you. Didn't invite you, but thank you for coming over and and doing this. And when they leave, Nicole and I both just like sit in our chair and we start dying laughing because literally our house was so, I mean, it looked like a tornado came through. And what was so funny, we're like, never one time, never one time did we imply or directly offer an invitation for these people to come over and into our house and eat dinner with us. And yet they ate dinner with us, destroyed our house and then left. And um, here we are left picking up the pieces. So the the moral of the story is uh, we're working on number four. You want to bring us a meal? That's amazing. Don't come over to my house and eat dinner with us with your four kids. So public service announcement, North and South Campus. Thank you. Um, So my point is just this, and we love people, but you you know how it is. My point is just this. What we're going to talk about in this series, the pain, the hurt, the brokenness, sometimes getting on the other side of things and feeling like it's already shattered and in pieces and you got to pick up what's left is that that never comes with an invitation but it's coming. And what we kind of want to talk about in this series, some big issues, but then just relevant to all of us, either campus, online, radio, all of us like walk through stuff. So whether um, it's just a job thing or relationship thing, all of us have experienced this. It doesn't matter what you believe. And so the real question that um, we want to answer in this series, Nicole's going to help me teach this series. If you thought she was leading off and you're disappointed, whatever, um, but I'm going to lead off the series today. She'll be joining us later in the series. But um, All of us have been there and our 
default prayer generally is, God, get me out of this, or God, somehow remove this. But then there's other prayers that have to change because you can't pray anymore, God, get me through this, because you already had to get on the other side of it. You've already had to walk through it. And now you're starting to ask questions like, am Am I gonna see anything good come out of this? Am I ever gonna be okay emotionally again? Is things gonna be right in our relationship? And so it's not a matter of God take it away. It's I'm left with the aftermath of this. And so what do I do now? How do I find hope when it's hurting? And all of us have been there and it's coming without invitation. And here's really the question I wanna lead the series off with that's kind of gonna set up where we go is, what do you do with the fear and the anxiety that comes with that? Because that's not coming with an invitation either. But, but it's coming. And I'm not talking about mental illness or a diagnosis. We're going to talk about all that stuff in this series, and we'll give you a heads up. But I'm just talking about the stuff that all of us walk through, me and you included, whether we admit it or not, where some stuff goes down, and we're left with some fear and anxiety about where we're going to go from here or where it's going to look in the future. And how do you deal with that, and how do you find hope as you walk through that? Now, now here's the thing. Here's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes this morning at both campuses, and that is the thing that we are most prone to do when fear and anxiety hits all of us is to run. That's what we're prone to do. We're prone to run maybe relationally, and we run out of a marriage or out of a friendship or out of community somewhere, or maybe we just kind of emotionally distance ourselves. Um, We run spiritually sometimes where it gets to a point where you're like, I'm done. I'm done praying. I'm done trying to believe God in this. And in some ways, we kind of distance ourselves from God. We, we walk away from the church, and maybe you're back today after being away for a long time. But, but the default of what we are prone to do, and I'm telling you, this is just truth, is that when it hits, we want to run. And here's what I want to tell you for a few minutes, and I don't want this to get weird, but you have an enemy, if you're a follower of Jesus, that wants to steal, kill, and to destroy some stuff in your life, whether it's your dream, your destiny, your marriage, your friendships, your parenting of your adult kids, whatever it is, you have a real enemy that is plotting to bring down your life. And one of the primary things that he is going to use, and I think I can back this up, is fear and anxiety. Peter is a guy that on Easter weekend, we referenced him last week, was overcome by fear, right? Like he starts to think about where all of this is going to go after Jesus was arrested, and he just runs. Like in his case, he physically runs. And then later on in his life, he writes um, these verses. They weren't called verses at the time, just these letters to some people to go, hey, I I understand this. I've walked through this. I've got a whole story that unfortunately has been recorded for everybody to know all time. But I've dealt with fear and anxiety. I've dealt with running. And, and he gives us this heads up, and maybe you've heard this verse, 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the who? The devil. Okay, so some of you, let me just pause for a second. You're grappling with the whole faith thing. The whole idea of a literal devil seems weird. I totally understand that. I empathize with you. So just insert in there when life sucks. Whatever you want to attribute that to, you don't know where it comes from, but here's what I know. We can get on the same page around that. Those moments when it's just hard, you can insert that in there. The devil, or just the fact that my life sucks right now, or it's hard right now, prowls around like a what? A roaring lion. I hope you're helping me out at north, a little quiet at the south right now. Roaring lion looking for someone. Let me give you one more shot to do what? Okay, here's where I'm not, and I do want to make this case, because Christianity can get really weird. Um... Everything that you experience is not the devil. Ah, my, my iPhone's not working. I just feel like I'm under attack right now. 
No, that's, you need to get a new charger. The devil did not sabotage your iPhone, all right? Or the guy, and let me just talk about this guy for a second, this guy that is in his workplace and he is constantly under attack for what he believes and his faith and I just, the enemy's coming against me, I'm just under attack. No, you might be underperforming and they're giving you a paycheck and you kind of need to hustle a little bit. That has nothing to do with the devil. That has everything to do with you're lazy and you need to start grinding a little bit. Is that too direct? So it, that's not the devil. Roaring lion looking to devour. And then Peter says, this is so powerful. Resist him. Resist him. And stand in the faith. You know anything about lions? So lions, um, they have two things that are going for them. They are not agile creatures. They cannot run very fast. Um, Lean in, because it's pretty fascinating. They, they can't run very fast. They got two things that are going for them. They can hide really, really well, and they are unbelievably patient. So they will strategically just wait. I don't have the gift of patience, but they'll just patiently wait. They can hide really, really well. And then the second thing that they kind of have an advantage on is the fact that they are social cats. They're social cats. And so they always kind of work together in a pride. Is that right? Did I get that right? Um, work together in a pride. And so what will happen is when a lion confronts you, um, the lion will confront you and then the natural response, because just fight or flight, right? The natural response is you see a lion, you're gonna run from the lion. That's just common sense. But the thing is, they're unbelievably cunning because they'll trap you. Because they're social cats, they work together. So the thing that they want you to do is actually run. So when the lion comes at you from the front, you start to run away. And then the other cats jump out of the bushes or wherever they're hiding and they pounce on you. It is a trap. It's a trap. Now, here's what they say. And this is kind of unbelievable. That when you are faced with a lion, that actually the safest place or safest thing to do, and it's kind of counterintuitive, is that you actually face down the lion or even run toward it which are you kidding me, but that's, like I have a deathly, I'm deathly afraid of rats. So let me just put that on the table. So if I, if I see a rat, I'm running away screaming like a middle school girl. Like they're just, I don't know what it is about them, but they're just terrifying to me. So that, like I'm gonna run from a rat, let alone a lion. I can't even imagine like standing my ground or running toward that thing. But that's the safest thing to do. It's counterintuitive, but you run toward it. You, you would never think to do that on your own. Hey, here's the thing. Here's where, where Peter is going with this. The whole context of the fact that you have an enemy and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, that's in another passage, or you have an enemy that wants to devour your marriage, your life, your dream, your destiny. The number one thing in a lot of cases that he is going to use is the fear and anxiety around what you're walking through. Here's how I know this. Because the verse right before this, this is the context of the whole thing, and maybe you know this verse. He says this, cast all of your what? Cast all of your anxiety on him, Jesus, because he cares for you. And then he says, and be alert. Because your enemy, the devil, this is what he wants to use, maybe more than any other tactic in your life. And here's the thing. When you are under attack and the primary source is fear and anxiety, here's what you need to know, that in a lot of cases, because the enemy cannot take your life, what he wants to do is debilitate your life. He wants you to get, get you to run from healing, run from destiny, run from God's calling and will in your life, and you are never more prone to do that than when fear and anxiety hits. Here's the thing you need to know, and this is where the enemy tips his hand, I'll come back to this, is that where you experience fear and anxiety, in many cases, it is a great indicator that that's where God wants to work. How many of you know this? The enemy doesn't oppose 
what is not an opportunity. And in many cases, the greater the calling, the greater the opposition. The greater the assignment, the greater the opposition. The greater the opportunity of what God wants to do in your life, the greater the opposition. The enemy always tips his hands. You always know what cards he has in his hands because where you find fear and anxiety, in many cases, that is the doorway to your destiny and your healing and all that God wants to do. And you would never choose it, but the enemy is going to oppose what God wants to use. And so Peter says, thank you in the back. Peter says this in my own words, you need, you need to run toward the roar. You need to run toward the thing that is the source of your greatest fear and anxiety because the enemy is coming, but it's an ambush. And as soon as you start to run, you're just gonna run to something else that's only gonna compound the fear and the anxiety. In many cases, when you run away from the roar, you're running away from the destiny that God has for your life. So in the Old Testament, 860 BC, um, there's this whole thing that goes down in Israel. Um, and I'm not going to give you the whole backstory. You can read it for yourself. I'd love for you to read the Bible. That's an amazing thing to do. Get the app. But in this story, the, um, the nation of Israel has been split into two kingdoms, right? This is after Solomon and David and all that stuff. And, and now a guy by the name of um, Jehoshaphat is the king, or Ahab is the king of Israel and his wife Jezebel. And you can, you'll find out in a second, you read this for yourself, Jezebel is straight up crazy. It's why we don't name our kids Jezebel any longer, because she's, um, somebody may still use that name. So if you have the name Jezebel, I'm not saying you're crazy, I'm just saying, in this case, Jezebel is unbelievably crazy. And there's this showdown that happens where Elijah is the prophet. He's like the spokesman for God, right? Like God gives him a word and he goes and tells the people about it. You with me at the North Campus? And so Elijah's that guy. And so there's this little um, kind of scenario where God says it's not gonna rain for a few years. Elijah kind of goes into hiding. Um, God protects him, provides for him. And then God comes through Elijah and says, it's gonna rain and there's gonna be a showdown between Ahab and all the prophets of Baal, basically like these idol worshipers. And, and you and Yahweh. And so the prophets of Baal, they get up on this mountain and they start doing these crazy dances and they start asking the gods of Baal to do something crazy and to rain down fire from heaven. And they do this for like a whole day. They're just, they're just going around. It's a huge pep rally, but the, the Baals are not doing anything. Like the, the gods that they're crying out to are not coming through. So then it is it's Elijah's turn. And so they make their own little altar. They soak it in wood just to make it more difficult, allow God to show off and flex his muscles a little bit more. So they just, they douse it in water and then they start crying out to Yahweh, the one true God. And what happens? You know the story? He rains down fire on this thing, consumes the altar. It's this unbelievable scene. And so, you know, Elijah's like, game over. And it's so crazy, even in that scenario, Elijah is so confident. There's one part where he's taunting the prophets of Baal. It's like, hey, maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's like hungry. Maybe, maybe, maybe he doesn't know what's going on, like throwing serious shade, so unbelievably confident. So this whole thing goes down. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse one, it says, now Ahab went home and told his crazy wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all of the prophets with the sword. And literally, these are like Jezebel's prophets. Again, you can read the context for yourself. Verse two, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, I don't make your life like one of them. 
in essence, Elijah, we're gonna take you out. And Jezebel's like, I'm going to single-handedly make sure that that happens. Now, if you dropped into the story and you were with Elijah, you'd be like, so what? Do you not just see what happened? God, Yahweh just rained down fire from heaven while you guys were dancing around the whole day and nothing happened. So you can threaten my life all you want. Do you know who you're dealing with? Did you not see what just went down on that mountain? Did you not just see what God did? But here's the thing. God had a unique destiny for Elijah's life. God had a plan for Elijah's life. And come on, the enemy is gonna do everything that he can do to thwart the plan of God. This is just a side note, but I think it's relevant to this passage. And here's the other thing. The enemy always works the night shift, always. See, there Elijah is. He had just seen this amazing thing go down and it's not in the moment really what's threatening him because in the moment, Elijah's good. What's the threat? Tomorrow. Jezebel's like, tomorrow. right now I'm good. But tomorrow, Jezebel is coming after me. And come on, this is what the enemy does. And in many cases, he'll work the night shift to do it, to start to come in to go, hey, I don't know if you have what it takes for this next season. I don't know if what God has placed on your heart is actually from God. I don't know if you're gonna be able to stand up under the weight of what you're going through right now. So you might as well just quit. And he's constantly working the night shift to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to start with your thoughts. And what I wanna tell you again is the greater the assignment, the greater the opposition. And Elijah had a destiny on his life. And so it says in verse three that regardless of what had just happened, it says in verse three that Elijah was, South Campus, what's the word? I'll give you a chance in a second. South Campus or North Campus, oh, I, man, I confused it again. Give me a couple of weeks, I'll get this, my bad. Um, North Campus, what's the word? South Campus, let me give you a shot. He was what? So, all right, thank you. And, and here's the question, if you were facing Elijah. Elijah, do you not remember? Here's what's really interesting. I don't even remember the story of when Peter is in the boat, the same Peter that wrote that there's an enemy, the, the devil, that's prowling around like a roaring lion. Peter was in the boat, and he was invited by Jesus to get out of the boat, and he starts to walk on the water in the midst of a raging storm. And if you can't handle the miracle, don't, don't miss what I'm about to talk about because you have questions about the miracles because there's still something for you. But he, he gets on the water, and he begins to walk toward Jesus. He is walking on the water. And what... What takes Peter down ultimately? It wasn't, it wasn't the immediate storm. It was when Peter started looking up and looking out at the horizon and he started to become absolutely debilitated by the thing that he couldn't see, the wind that was raging against him. And it was in this moment where he's walking through the storm, but he starts to get focused on the next moment to go, okay, but I don't know where this is gonna lead. I don't know how this is gonna go down. If I get out here a little bit further, I don't know what's gonna happen to me. And he sets his focus on something else to where in the moment he's okay, but it's the next moment that starts to debilitate him about where it could all lead. And the same is true for a lot of our lives that what we're walking through in the moment, it's real, it's hard, we have a lot of questions, but it's not always this moment that's gonna take you out. It's when you get yourself focused on the things that you can't even see about the implications and where it might lead and what may happen down the road that has the potential to take you out. And fear and anxiety overwhelms you. And so in this story, if we were there with Elijah, we'd be like, Elijah, what are you afraid of? Like, have you forgotten 
Hey, by the way, have you forgotten that God is outside of space and time? He's not just aware of what's gonna happen in your tomorrow. He's already there. But Elijah's afraid and he does what we do when we're overwhelmed by anxiety and fear. Are you guys still with me? I know I keep calling you the wrong campus, but are you with me at the South? No offense. He ran for his life and he came to Beersheba in Judah. Literally, he gets a passport, leaves the country and goes away for like two weeks. And he left his servant and while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And he got to where a lot of us maybe have gotten, where he's just like, I've, I've had enough. And God, I don't know if I can, I can do this anymore. And he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said to him, and if you have an angel show up, this is the kind of angel you want, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread, not some keto diet, a cake, put a cake in front of him over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he lay down again in verse seven. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched Elijah and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Literally, like Elijah, you've run to this place where you're all by yourself because fear and anxiety always wants to isolate you. And you're literally killing yourself with fear about tomorrow. And so he said, verse eight, so get up, eat and drink and strengthen by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Pause. Now here's what's really interesting to me is he's run for weeks and he finally gets to this mountain. And the mountain that he is standing on at this point after all the running that he's done is also known as Mount Sinai. This is where everything went down with Moses. The 10 commandments were given, the promises about Israel's future, about all that God was gonna do. This is the place, I love this story. This is the place where the burning bush is ignited and there Moses is, and God has a destiny and calling for Moses' life that he's gonna go in, he's gonna face down Pharaoh, and he's gonna lead Egypt out of captivity, and it's gonna change all of history. And there, staring at the burning bush, which should have been enough evidence that, hey, God, I think you can handle this. Moses starts to give all of his excuses, his fear, his anxiety. Of, I, I, I don't know if, if I can talk to these people because I have, I, have, I have stage fright, and I can't really talk and communicate well, and I, I don't know what I'm gonna do once I get there. I don't really have any tactic or plan and I don't know how God's going to deliver me. And I, God, I'm scared to death. And he's staring at a burning bush and, and God says to him, hey, hey, Moses, I am. I am. I know you're afraid. I am. I, I know that you are overwhelmed by anxiety, but I am enough. I know that you don't know what you're going to do, but, but I am enough to give you a plan and to show you the way. And so Moses, come on, I am whatever you need when you need it. If I call you and I've given you a destiny. And so I want you to run toward the roar and Pharaoh is your roar. And I know you don't have it in yourself. I know you don't have a plan that has come up by your own schemes, but I'm going to do it. And so run back in the direction where you are most afraid of, because on the other side of that is your destiny that's going to change history and birth the Messiah. So you got to go back. I am. And Elijah's standing on that very spot and he knows all of those stories. And so verse nine, he went into a cave, he spent the night and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. 
what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here, Elijah? You've run miles away from where I wanted you. And I get the threat's real, and I understand Jezebel's crazy, and I know there's lots of uncertainty, and I know you don't know how it's gonna play out, but, but come on, Elijah, why are you here? Why, why have you run here? The question for a lot of us, whether you're listening on radio or podcast, if you're at North Campus right now or South Campus in the room, the question for a lot of us is, why have you run here? Why are you here? And, and the fear and the anxiety and what you're walking through, it's all real, but you've run mentally. Some of you have literally run physically out of that job, out of that marriage, out of that relationship, out of that city, thinking somehow it's gonna be better. Some of us have run towards self-medication, whether it's more drinking or it's opioids, or I'm gonna medicate it, or I'm gonna have a fair, or I'm gonna start clicking on porn. It's endless distractions. It's just, I've settled into an apathy, and that's my, that's my means of running. For some of us, we've run from God. It's been a while since you've been in church. It's been a while since you've been in any kind of community. It's been a while since you've really prayed, and you're just running because the only thing that you know to do is run, and God's going, why have you allowed the threats to drive you here? Because it's a trap. So verse 10, he replied, this is Elijah. This is the same thing that last week where the guy that's on the road of Emmaus starts filling in Jesus about what's going down. He starts to tell the author about the book. And so here Elijah is, and he's like, I just need to, I just need to fill you in on some information. I would think you would know this because you're God, but apparently you don't. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You should know that. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. You should know that too, all due respect. They've broken down your altars. Did you see that, God? And they put your prophets to death with the sword. Were you there when that went on? And I am the only one left. Elijah's like, I'm the only one going through what I'm going through. I'm the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one left who has been faithful. And now you're trying to kill me. God, assuming you do, but do you know what is happening to me? And then the Lord said, and this had to have been so irrelevant to Elijah. The Lord said, okay, so go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. What? God, nobody believes you but me. And I don't know what you're doing. And I don't know why you haven't intervened. It's been weeks. And so a great and powerful wind while Elijah was standing there tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. He's just flexing his muscle because he knows Elijah needs reminded. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire. But he's like, I don't really need an earthquake, a fire, or to shatter the mountains. Because after the fire came a gentle, both campuses, what is it? Because sometimes the answer to the roar that is overwhelming and consuming you seems disproportionate. It only takes a whisper. It's your gut going, why are you here? It's that question going, 
hey, hey, you need to go back. It's that one thing where you're, you're going, I know that if it weren't for what I'm feeling right now, I would never choose this. It's just a whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. He went out, stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? And God's like, listen, listen, I get it. I'm not minimizing your pain. And if there were no me, I get it. But there's me. Why are you here? Hey, Elijah, maybe you need reminder. That was a little object lesson to just display to you. I can move those mountains when I want to. I have authority over all things. Jesus is gonna walk the earth in some distant time and he is going to touch the disease and rather than the disease making him ill, he's gonna make the disease well again. I command nature and nature has to obey my orders when I bark them. I raise the dead with the word. I'm over Israel. Israel. I'm over the armies. I'm over all things. Do you remember who I am, Elijah? Why are you here? And he replied, I've been, I'm gonna try his speech one more time. I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. And he starts to repeat the same thing again. And I think about halfway through it, he starts to hear himself. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. I just told you that, but you still don't feel like I, I, you're changing the subject. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And I think he starts to hear himself. And now they're trying to kill me too. And I'm, I'm not really sure that that's a good excuse because you're still God and you're still in control. And so the Lord said to him, so powerful, Elijah, go back. Elijah, go back. I, I get it. You don't need to fill me in again. I understand. I get it. I get it. I heard you. Go back. Elijah, I need you to go back and I need you to run toward the roar. I need you to run toward the thing that has caused you to hide, that's caused you to run, that's debilitated you. I need you to run toward the thing that has taken you miles away and weeks away and has distanced yourself from everybody around you, including me. But I'm just telling you, Elijah, I need you to go back because there's something that I wanna do on the other side of the fear and the anxiety that has caused you to run to this place and so go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, I love this. God just starts breaking it down. Anoint Haziel king over Aram. And Elijah's like, well, Aram already had a king. No, I know. I'm getting a new one. In verse 16, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And Elijah's like, God, are you listening? Israel already has a king. His name is Ahab. His crazy wife Jezebel is why I'm here. God's like, no, I know. Getting a new king. Replacing them. And then I love this. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. No, no, but I'm the prophet. No, I know. I appreciate your service, Elijah. <laughs> We're going to give you a watch for your years of service and a gift card. We're getting a new prophet. 
We're getting a new king of Aram. We're getting a new king of Israel. We're replacing you. You've done an amazing job. I still got some stuff for you, but we're getting somebody else. And so Elijah's sitting there before God himself, who's telling him to go back. And it's this moment, I think, where the realization sets in for Elijah. Like, okay, God, so you're, so you're saying you had a plan the whole time? Mm-hmm. So you're saying that you've had a purpose in this the whole time? Yeah. So you're saying that you were orchestrating this the whole time and you decided to not let me in on it while I've been running away scared and afraid for my life? Yeah. I didn't know that. So God's like, I I know Elijah. So what in the world are you doing here? Why are you here? Verse 17, God gives a little more information, and Jehu's going to be put to death, and any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu, yet I reserve for me 7,000 in Israel. Your fear and your anxiety always wants to isolate you. I'm the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one walking through this. I'm the only one that feels this. And God's like, hey, Elijah, There's 7,000 more of you. But you have so run and so isolated yourself out of your fear and anxiety, you think you're the only one. But there's 7,000 in Israel and their knees have not bowed down to Baal and they've been afraid as well and their mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah, let me just ask you one more time. What are you doing here? So let me ask you real quick. Have you run some places because of your fear and anxiety that you know you shouldn't have gone? And it's not physically. You've run to some stuff in terms of emotional distance in your relationships. You've backed away for something that you know you should have stayed put in. You've run towards some behaviors. You've run towards some habits. You've run towards some addictions. You've run towards some, I'm going to drink extra. I'm going to click on it. I'm going to, I'm going to find an escape. I'm just going to run. I'm going to, I'm going to change my priorities. In some cases, I'm going to run away from God because I just don't know what you're doing and I'm just kind of done and I can't stay here any longer. But you've allowed fear and anxiety to cause you to run. And the admonition is you got to go back. And you've got to run toward the roar because Jesus' invitation, and I think Jesus' question to me and to you is, what are you doing here? If there's no me, I get it. I'm not minimizing the pain and the anxiety and the fear, but there's me. Why are you here? And so go back. You've got to go back. And I know you're scared to death. It's why you ran, but it's a trap. You've got to go back. You've got to go back and you've got to face down the relationship that is holding you back and you are never going to be able to move forward until you go back to deal with it. You got to go back and apologize. You got to apologize to your adult parents. You, you got to, they should be adult parents, or I don't know how they would be your parents, but you need to apologize to your parents and they're adults too. I'm just inserting that information. And you need... You need to go back and you need to start getting help for the addiction and the habit that you're walking through. And you feel like you're the only one. You're not the only one. But you got to go back. You got to go back and have the conversation. You got to go back and reconcile. You got to go back and get help. You got to go back and tell them. You got to go back physically and try to try to mend some things. But you have got to go back from where you ran. And in some cases, the person that you ran from was God himself. 
and you got to go back. You've got to go back from where you ran. And can I just give you this little helpful bit of information? God would rather have you yell at him than ignore him. We serve a God that has entered into your pain to go, I know, I felt it, I've been there. I'm welcoming your questions. I'm welcoming your struggle. I understand your pain because unlike any other religion, you serve a suffering savior that entered into humanity to feel what you feel at probably an even greater degree. And so he says to you, come to me, bring it to me, shake your fist at me, but I want genuine relationship. And as long as you're running and there's distance, there's not much I can do because I'm not going to force my way on you. But if you would start to get honest with me, maybe, maybe God will start to work. Listen, the thing that you least want to go back and face generally is the thing that we're, where God is working the most. And it's the place where fear wants to keep you from at all costs. Because many times, just hear me, even if you don't believe me right now, you see this all throughout scripture, that on the other side of your fear and anxiety and facing that and running toward that roar is where the healing is. And facing and running toward the roar of that fear and anxiety in many cases is where God's destiny is. And you would never choose this, but this is the way forward. It's Mary being visited by an angel And God has a calling for her life and she's got to decide whether she's going to assume the calling as an unwed, pregnant, single girl, having no idea what it's going to mean for her. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the the Old Testament where they're forced to bow down to these idol worshipers and they have the choice of whether they're going to bow down out of fear or whether they're going to stand up knowing that most likely it's going to end with their life being taken from them. It's Goliath being faced down by David when thousands of people are running the other direction and it's David that says, I'm not coming to you with my own might and skill, I'm coming to you with the armies of the Lord God. And he runs, runs toward the roar. And in all of those cases, if they would have just submitted to the fear and anxiety physically, they probably would have lived. But it would have been the death of their destiny. The fear and the anxiety in many cases is where God wants to work. The reason those kids are so out of control in some circumstances is because God is doing something and wants to use their life in a significant way. The reason that your dream that you really feel like God has placed in your heart and it's from him seems like it's opposed on every level is because God wants to do something through that and the enemy is not going to go easily. He's gonna resist what God wants to use. And so you've got to go back and you've got to run toward the roar. And then I want to give you a second thing. And then when you go back and you face it, you need to fight like hell. Because hell is coming against you. You have a lion, you have an enemy that wants to steal, wants to devour, wants to kill, wants to destroy, wants you to self-medicate, wants to drive you into habits, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to steal your dream, wants to debilitate you for the rest of your life. And so Peter stands up and says, I've been there, but you need to resist him. You need to not go quietly. You have the choice to fight hell, to run against the roar. You have a choice to stand firm and not run the other direction. And when you do, God's going to meet you there. But here's the truth. You can't do it on your own. Well, God's not going to give me more than I can handle. Yes, he will. 
God's not gonna tempt you beyond what you can handle. God's gonna give you more than you can handle all the time because it is a relationship built on trust. And he's going, I want you to trust me. And in many cases where you feel the fear and the anxiety is where I want trust to take hold. So follow me. Peter says this, I wanna give you more information and then we're gonna close this down. In that whole section where he's talking about that you have a lion, you have an enemy, he wants to devour you. Here's what he also says in 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter who had been overcome by anxiety and fear says this, here's how you fight like hell, humble yourselves. Well, I thought we were talking about fighting. No, no, we are. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's, both campuses, what is it? under God's mighty hand. In many cases, going back is gonna require a breaking of your pride. It's gonna require you to get to a place to go, I can't do this. I can't face this. I can't go back there. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And Peter says, I know you can't. Everybody knows you can't. You need to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God or literally the power of God. And then when he is ready, he will lift you up and lift you out. But here's why it requires humility because you cannot do it your way and cast off your anxiety. You cannot have control. Somebody listen to me. I know the Holy Spirit's pinning some of you to the seat, but just listen to me for a second. You cannot cast off your anxiety and do it the way you want or have control of the situation. You cannot cast off your anxiety and for some of you not get into counseling. You can't cast off your anxiety and not go back and face it in the relationship. You can't cast off your anxiety and not go get that thing out into the light so you can begin to find freedom. And the thing that is going to begin to usher in the power of God is you've got to humble yourself and recognize that, that I can't and I'm placing myself under the mighty hand of God and I'm gonna allow fear to run because I don't have the power to do this on my own. And Jesus says, that's the command through the, the writing of Peter. And then the result, is what you find in verse seven. This is so good. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's not a command. That's a result. It only happens after you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that you get acquainted with the fact that that hand has been on your situation the whole time. That hand split the Red Sea. That hand gives life to the disease. That hand raises the dead. That orchestrates the stars to fling them into place. That hand has been there the entire time. And so when you decide to take the command, I'm gonna humble myself, all of a sudden something begins to happen. You ever met somebody who had, a friend of mine had so, uh, like really severe pain in their joints and stuff in their knees, but they were overweight. And they started to lose a bunch of weight. And it was so interesting when they lost all of the weight, something like 80 pounds, it was crazy, that all of a sudden the pain in their knees, most of it started to dissipate because the pain was the result of carrying a weight that their body was not designed to carry. And it's when you place your life under the mighty hand of God and get acquainted with the fact that even if I don't understand it, your hand is at work. All of a sudden, when you feel the weight of his power, the weight of fear and anxiety starts to leave, it starts to run, it starts to take off. It was Peter walking on the water. I'm gonna be done in a second, but I make no apologies. It's in a 12:30 service, so north and south. No, no, I'll be done in a second. But let's. Peter's walking on water. I just want to go back to this one more time. And he steps out and he begins to walk amidst the raging waters. And I never caught this before. 
But when he begins to sink, because he's looking at all the effects of the wind and might, what might happen out there, when he begins to sink, it says this. This word's really important. That immediately, that's the word, immediately Jesus reaches out his hand and grabs Peter and lifts him up and lifts him out. The issue, and I think the church needs to, we really need to come around this idea that it, the issue is not that you're drowning. The issue is, are you close enough to the hand that can lift you up and lift you out? And in fact, when Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's not saying don't feel fear. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, he's not saying don't, don't feel anxiety. He's saying, I don't want you to be fear. I don't want you to be anxiety. I don't want you literally to be consumed and overwhelmed by the anxiety and fear where it starts to become your identity and you start to run. Feel it, recognize it, and come on, the church needs to get better at this. We are so uncomfortable with people suffering and walking through something where they're going, it's just hard and I'm not real happy right now and things suck and they seem out of control and we have so much problem just coming alongside of them to go, I'm not gonna try to fix it with a Bible verse. I'm just gonna be Jesus to you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to enter into your pain without trying to fix your pain. Stop it. There's a time for that. But sometimes you just need to enter into the pain of other people and allow yourself to be uncomfortable because their pain isn't about you. And so immediately he lifts Peter up and lifts Peter out and the question is, like, are you running in a direction where you're close enough to that hand, where you're humbling yourself under that hand, which is the power and the ability to fight hell and the ability to bring the power that raised Christ from the dead to whatever you're facing right now so that I don't know how it's going to end. And I'm not saying it's all going to wrap up and come together at the end like a sitcom, but I'm telling you, he will lift you up and he will lift you out. And the enemy has no hold over you. The last thing, and, and I gotta end with this, is, is to fight like hell, you need to starve your fear and you need to feed your faith. Fear is an appetite that grows. You need to figure out whatever is growing your fear. I'm just talking practical for a second. You maybe need to binge watch less on Netflix. I'm all about it. I'm down with it, but I'm just telling you there's direct links to anxiety and fear. Some of you need to turn off CNN and Fox News or whatever else you watch for a little while. Some of you need to stop scrolling Instagram every three seconds of every single day, but you need to find a way where you are not feeding your fear over and over again. Instead, you need to starve it and start to feed your faith. And the thing that feeds your faith is worship. You need to lift your voice in worship to go, hey God, I am believing, even if I don't feel it, that you're able. And I'm believing that you're with me. And I'm believing that you're good. I'm believing that you're able. I'm believing that you're with me. I'm believing that you're good. I'm believing that you're able. You raise up kings and nations and kingdoms like they're chess pieces, and then you decide you're done with them. You are able. You are with me. Even when I don't feel it, your silence is not an indication of your absence. You came to planet Earth to let me know once and for all, you are with me through this. And you're good. Come on. Jesus didn't come to planet earth to show off his power over the darkness of hell. 
and to set up a name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, and to conquer the enemy and to overthrow the powers of this world so that fear could demoralize you and keep you from your destiny. And a cross in history says, I died for you, I'm for you. You don't have to see it in this moment, but you need to lift your voice in worship to start to star fear and feed faith. God is able, God is with me, God is good, and I can trust him in any season. And then you need, you need to lift your voice to somebody else around you. You're not the only one. We got people in this room and thousands listening via radio and podcasts, walking right now through the struggle of mental illness and depression and, and fear and anxiety that's caused them to run. They've self-medicated it with a hundred different things. You're not alone. You need to lift your voice to somebody else and we need to create the kind of church community. I'm just gonna go strong here for a second. So I apologize and this is your last week with us. It's been good having you, but I, I just wanna go strong for just a second to say, like, let's, let's stop with the sociocultural game where we're sitting in rows and we're not engaging in deep community with other people around us so that when things start to fly off the rails or we start to sink, we can't go, hey, I just need to let you know I'm struggling. I just I need, to need to let you know I'm not okay. I just need to let you know that, that following Jesus is not the antithesis of struggle and fear and anxiety and loving Jesus is not an enemy to, you know what, sometimes it's just not going well. When did, when did we package Christianity like that? I, and I'm struggling, I need to let you know. And we need to be the kind of community where we actually engage in community so we can see other brothers and sisters and go, are you okay? Are you, are you all right? Are you doing all right? Scripture says this, that when, when we come together around the message of Jesus, where two or three are gathered, there his presence and power is in the midst of them in a very unique and special way. You gotta lift your voice in worship. You gotta lift your voice to other people around you. And in due time, hear me North Campus, in due time when God's ready, he's gonna lift you up and he's gonna lift you out. And so why don't we just make it our declaration? Would you stand with me at both campuses? North, would you stand with me right now? We're standing at South Campus with nobody leaving. Let's, let's just be sensitive to the spirit of God and what he's doing in this moment to create a moment that for some people they're gonna remember in a decade. Let's just make it our declaration that I'm going and I can't do it in my own power, but I'm gonna run toward the roar. And when I get there, I'm gonna fight like hell. And I'm bringing the power of God with me because hell has no power over the power of Jesus. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, we have a lion that wants to steal, kill, destroy, and devour, but that enemy cannot stand up against the power that is in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, fear cannot stand. In the name and power of Jesus, anxiety cannot stand. In the name and power of Jesus, bitterness and dysfunction and addiction cannot stand. Graves do not intimidate him. Death could not hold him. Jesus always gets the last word. And what I wanna to say to you at both campuses this morning so that you know it is that there is a lion, but the lion is always on a leash. There is a greater power. There's a greater authority. It is the resurrection power of Jesus that brings life to dead bones, that can bring hope out of heartache, that can bring triumph out of tragedy, that can take what you thought was over and start to breathe life into that, the same power that told Jesus to get up out of the grave. That 
power is at work. So run toward the roar. Fight like hell in the power of Jesus because hell has no ability to win. And in many cases, your destiny and God's will and your healing is on the other side of that. And so you need to lift your voices today to go, the enemy will not win. I'm running toward the roar. I'm ready to fight. And Jesus, I'm humbling myself because I need your resurrection power. So as we close, and we're going to close right here, where, where do you need to go back? Where do you need to run toward what you've been running away, away from? And where do you need to stand firm and fight? Because you have a choice. So would you pray with me at either campus, heads bowed, eyes closed, and if there is something that you've been running away from and the Spirit of God is beginning to bring it to your attention in this moment or maybe 40 minutes ago, at either campus, north, I know God is moving and his spirit is working right now physically in your midst. Would you just lift up your hand at either campus to go there? There's some things that I've run away from and now in this moment I need to run toward. Get your hand up. North campus, get your hand up. If that's you, get your hand up. Jesus, I just wanna pray right now for those individuals that Lord, are, are in a sense figuratively bowing their knee to you and just as maybe insignificant as it seems to lift our hand is an act of humility to go, I can't do this on my own and God, I need you. I pray that where we have no strength and that's all of us, where we're overwhelmed, that's all of us. That right now that we would just take confidence in the resurrection power of Jesus to do what we can't. And there's no promises of pain-free, problem-free, everything's gonna work out. But there's a promise that you've given us a destiny, you've given us a future, that you are with us, and that we're not gonna run. And I pray for those individuals right now in this moment, whether physically in the room or the different places where they're listening, that if they've never come to a place to place their faith and trust in Jesus as their personal savior. I pray this would be the moment to believe that you are God, that Jesus lived a perfect life and died the death we should have died on the cross for our sin, past, present, and future. And three days later, he rose again. And the basis of our hope in this moment is that we serve a resurrected savior. So I pray maybe this will be the moment where they would stop trusting themselves and personally place their faith and their trust in you. And we are believing this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you guys put your hands together and just celebrate those today where God's moving and working. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate, and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.